RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. Interviews can be intimidating at the best of times. The spotlight is on you. You have to maintain your composure while politely answering a plethora of questions. One of the requirements for surgical trainees is the RAC Surgical Education and Training Interview. But don't fear. With the right preparation, it doesn't have to be so daunting. Someone who has been through the process is Dr Teriana Mahino, a Set 3 orthopaedic trainee in New Zealand. She shares her insights on how the interviews are structured, how to prepare for them, and importantly, how to manage those nerves on interview day. Dr Mahino tells Chris Ashmore that she treated her interview like it was an exam. So I sorted out the content of my interview first and got that really down pat. And then once I figured that all out, I took some time to really go through the practice. So if I was giving advice to somebody who was preparing, I think there's lots of things that you can do to go in and put your best foot forward. And in terms of content, you know, lots of people talk about it. You'll get lots of advice from lots of people who have interviewed before. But for me, it was really looking at the RAC's key competencies and thinking about ways to memorize them and then thinking about ways that you demonstrate them. So making them applicable to yourself. Looking at the RAC's websites for things like uh, policies and guidelines on bullying, looking at the New Zealand Medical Council or the, I guess, the AMC for the Australians on concerns about practice. When I was leading into it, I was trying to think about some of the topical issues that were happening in orthopaedics at the time, because I think they make for quite good questions. And so I looked through some of the old presidential addresses and the newsletters and things that had come out to kind of get an idea about what the vibe was in the specialty that I was interviewing for at the time. Yeah, getting your content down, Pat, really early is a really good way to go in with a good foundation. And then the practice is really what it's all about. So I set up a lot of practices with some of my senior trainees and other people who are interviewing just to go through talking. I did a lot of talking to myself in the car on the way into work, which makes you feel a little bit mad, but actually is a really good way to just kind of hear what you sound like and practice some answers and I guess fill in some time when you car ride in. Uh, Lots of people that I've done practice with subsequently, we've recorded the sessions on Zoom so that you can have a look at some of your body language. And I don't think that like lots of people realize how many ifs, ums, buts, ors, likes that they say. And when you're listening to somebody interview, those are really annoying. So if you identify them early, you can kind of change some of the language that you use to kind of come across as more polished. And I think you just have to practice and you can practice with anyone. You can practice with people who aren't medical. You can practice with your spouse, your flatmates, your mum and dad. They all give really good feedback on your body language and your eye contact and the way that you come across in your interview. So without even knowing any content, I think that practicing with anyone that you can find, just practicing talking would be really what I would recommend. And that's that's pretty much what I did when I was sort of prepping for my interview. Mm. Well, a podcast interview would be good practice too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, are the interviews structured differently depending on the specialty or are they pretty much all the same? Yeah, so I must admit I'm a little bit naive about what each subspecialty's specific interview setup is. In orthopaedics in New Zealand, that's kind of where most of my, obviously, experience is. So for me, 
my interview was seven kind of OSCE stations that typically had two or three of the education committee or selection committee in the room. So you sort of walked into a room of two or three people in there. There weren't any patients. They were just kind of scenarios where you went in and there was a scenario or a stem written on a piece of paper and then you read that out loud and they asked you some questions about that. And you just sort of did them all one after the other and then at the end of the sort of hour session you left. Recently I did some practice with somebody who was applying for the Enos and Throat program in New Zealand. And they sort of have a slightly different setup where they get the stem out in the waiting room have a few minutes to prepare a written answer and then you take that with you when you go into the room. So I guess that adds an element of preparation. You'd want to be practicing uh, when you do do your practice in that kind of format and figuring out how you're going to use your notes effectively in the room. I wouldn't want to comment too much on uh, the specifics of people's interviews for the different subspecialties, but what I would say is that you want to be very clear on what your interview looks like in the setup of that before you start preparing, and you want to practice in that format. And all of the college's subspecialties have really clear guidelines on their interview process, so have a really good read of those before you start your preparation so that you're preparing in the right format for the right interview. Well, before walking into the room for the interview, what would you say are some of the must-dos when getting ready for the interview? Yeah, so I actually reckon that having a really good pre-game is super important for your success on the day. And for me, like you really want to look and feel your best so that when you walk into the interview room, you feel like you're the most confident version of yourself. So if you're leading up to the day, you want to do really sensible things like get your hair cut, get your suit dry cleaned or find your interview outfit Definitely pack an extra shirt. We had a few people who had some coffee and hollandaise incidences on their uh, outfit the morning of the interview, which was always really bad. And make sure that you book your accommodation really close to the interview locations so that you don't have to worry about like public transport on the morning of. That can be really stressful. And the other thing I'd say is lots of people took their partner or their spouse to their interview, and I think that can be really helpful to have a support person there for you. So that's something that you think would be useful then thinking about that early can be really good. And sort of on the night before and the morning of, you want to be quite careful about who you spend your time with. So there'll be some people who are really gunning for the interviews who can kind of, the conversation around it can set you off a little bit and it can kind of add to your anxiety. I think that's the last thing that you need when you're heading into one of the biggest interviews of your life. You just really want to take some time to get your headspace straight. So for me, I didn't go out to dinner with the other people who were interviewing the night before. I just sort of had dinner in the hotel room and just flicked through some of my notes and made sure I got a good night's sleep. So I think you just have to be a bit wise about the people and the environment that you put yourself in leading into the exam so that you're in a good headspace. Uh, The morning of is definitely game on. So like have your whole outfit laid out on the bed so that you don't forget your socks and you don't forget your belt. Don't have breakfast in your suit. uh, Otherwise you might have a disaster. And then uh, get to your interview early and use the bathroom, take some time, do some mindfulness and some breathing exercises and just get yourself in the right headspace. But I think you definitely want to be prepared so that you can eliminate all of the kind of predictable stresses so that on the day, you know, you're showing up, you're ready to go, you're looking good, and you've got all the material and stuff that you need there with you. So, yeah, that would be my recommendation. Well, you kind of touched upon it, but uh, being so uh, nerve-wracking, is there anything that you did to manage your anxiety and your stress levels? 
honestly, I probably didn't manage my stressful nerves that well on the day. Retrospectively, I was pretty much a nervous wreck. But I think, yes, definitely being organized and having everything ready to go is a really good way because then it takes one stressor away. Lots of people have like music or playlists that they listen to to like amp them up before an exam. So if that's you, then take that with you. Um, I did some kind of mindfulness and breathing exercises in the waiting room outside the interview. I don't know if that helped me specifically, but I think it's definitely worth a go. And then I think when you're in the actual interview, it's really easy to get caught up in a bad mindset if you have a bad station. So for us, we had seven in a row. And I think what you have to do is be really strict with yourself about leaving the interview room and leaving everything that happened in that interview room behind before you go into the next one. If you get really in your head about the stuff that you think you've mucked up in the station before, then it's really likely to affect your performance in the next station. And the people in the station that you're going into have no idea how you performed in the station before at that time. So it is a clear slate and I think you should just treat it like that and just try and refocus your mind and just pretend whatever's been hasn't happened and the station that you're in at that time is just a new opportunity to prove yourself. And I guess that cliche about faking it till you make it is pretty true. So I like totally on the day didn't feel like I should be there, but I think you just need to walk into the room and act like you deserve to be there because you totally do. Otherwise they wouldn't be interviewing you. So I think you just have to go on with the right energy and the right mindset. Well, I suppose it doesn't end emotionally at least when the interview ends, you still got that stress there until the results come through. But uh, let's say the results do come through and you're successful. What are the next steps for the candidate? Yeah, so I think in New Zealand orthopaedics is actually pretty special. We get a phone call the evening of our interviews from the education committee member in our centre letting us know whether or not we were successful or unsuccessful. And a lot of the other subspecialties, I think they have quite a delay between their interview and finding out, and that can be really hard. And then they get notified via email. So for us, I got a phone call from my education supervisor saying, congratulations, you got on and you're moving to Wellington. So then I knew where I was going for the next 12 months. You don't really get to pick for your first 12 months, at least for the training program that I'm on. But I think from the second that you find out that you're on, you have to switch your mindset into being a trainee. And so you want to be getting your hands dirty and start ramping up your operative skills. Make sure that all of your like courses are lined up, so tips and things like that if you haven't done it already. Uh, some companies that provide insurance require you to change your insurance cover from like a junior registrar to a senior registrar. So sorting all of that kind of administration stuff out. And one of the things that happens as New Zealand is we select where we go each year at our training weekends on a big whiteboard. And then the training committee lets the hospitals know that we're coming to them for the year. And sometimes the hospitals can be a bit average. So I'd recommend getting in contact with the DHB that you're moving to to make sure that all of the paperwork has come through and that your contract has come through. And I guess finally, like it's a bit boring, but thinking about some research that you need to do as part of your training commitments and trying to get that sort of sorted out early and squared away early on in your training so that you don't finish training having a whole research portfolio that you need to make up. So it's mostly just administrative stuff. I guess the other thing to say is like you should totally celebrate getting on surgical training because it's really hard and it's awesome when you get that phone call saying that you're successful. So taking some time to celebrate the win is 
absolutely important. Absolutely. Well, conversely then, if you're not successful, if a candidate is not successful in the first interview application, any advice? Yeah, getting on or not getting on can be really difficult uh, news to process. And if you're a first-time applicant, it's probably not that uncommon. The first thing I would say is that you want to try and pick the environment that you receive that information in. So, for example, if it's a phone call, then maybe you don't want to be sitting around at a pub with the other candidates that are waiting for a similar phone call. And if it's an email, then maybe you want to do things like wait until you get home where you can open it in a controlled environment just in case the news is bad. And then when you do get the bad news, you really want to take some time to process that information. There's kind of this knee-jerk reaction that I've seen in some people to start calling around consultants and then trying to find out why they didn't get on. But I think the best advice I could give is you just really need to sit with that information for a few days and try and process it so that you're in the right headspace to kind of get some feedback going forward. And then once you've done that, you should go and seek some feedback from the education committee member in your centre. And so you often get written feedback as part of the interview process, but the people who uh, interviewed you or the consultants in your department would have had some feedback about your interview or your performance. And I think it's really helpful to get that information to get a good idea of what the issue was. It may have been that for whatever reason you didn't have enough points or your references weren't as good as you thought they were, and that can kind of give you some direction on where to work on. But equally, it may be that your interview wasn't particularly good and that maybe you want to think about doing things like seeing an interview coach or a psychologist to manage nerves if that was an issue for you. So there's lots of really good uh, tips that you can gain if you get some really useful feedback uh, to improve your position for the next year. And then I guess finally, you should be a good sport and a good colleague. Like it's really disappointing when you don't get on, but you should still make an effort to congratulate the people who were successful from your centre. It's really awesome news for them. And actually, they can now act as a really good resource for you when you think about making your second application uh, the following year. So, yeah, just make sure that you take the time to kind of share your congratulations to the people who were successful, even though, you know, everyone recognises that it can be a pretty disappointing time for yourself. Well, I don't want to end on a negative, and uh, if you don't mind me asking, Teriana, how are you now where you are at in your career, and how do you see the future for you? Are you optimistic in medicine? Yeah, so um, I feel pretty fortunate. I never really thought that surgery was something that I was going to do. I got into medical school as a postgraduate student, so I'm a couple of years older than my classmates, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll do general practice, and did a really great orthopedic run in Dunedin as a medical student and I've sort of never really looked back from that and getting onto training was hard work but I was really grateful. I only interviewed once and that was really fortunate for me and training has been very kind to me. I've moved around from hospital to Wellington and now I'm in Waikato and I've just had like a great opportunity to meet some really amazing people and do some really amazing work. And I think in the recent times, I've sort of decided to head down the trajectory of probably specialising in spine, uh, which is not a particularly popular uh, specialty and certainly not amongst women in New Zealand. So 
yeah, I feel really grateful to do the job that I do and I really love surgical training. So even though the interviews can be really tough and the training can be really tough, I really recommend it to anybody who can stick it out. Dr. Tiriana Mahino. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.